City on the edge. City on the edge. City on the edge. Welcome back to the City on the Edge welcome podcast where we tell Albuquerque's stories. Um, I'm Ty Bannerman. This is uh, Mike Smith. Mike Hello. Smith. Um, we're back today. We're going to talk about Albuquerque in the future. Yes. Sci-fi Albuquerque. Yes. Which you just brought a huge box of books over well, with lots of info about sci-fi Albuquerque, I guess. Yeah, and sci-fi New Mexico. Um, I, uh, a few years ago, I had this idea that I was going to write a book called A Brief History of the Future of New Mexico, and I was going to take all these science fiction books that had New Mexico as their settings, uh, and I was going to um, use them like a historian would use primary documents and recreate this time that is the future and like by trying to find some sort of consistent linear narrative oh, okay. uh, between all of them and like craft a cohesive history That's out of all these cool. different documents. I thought it was a cool idea. Yeah. And so I read like over a hundred books set in New Mexico that were science fiction and fantasy books. Uh, primarily science fiction was my, my main interest. Um, and uh, primarily set in the future. Right. Um, but I mean, I researched the hell. Of it. At one point, I thought I had read everything there was, and I've since found more and more. There's just it's kind of a bottomless, endless, yeah, bottomless thing. And then I don't know what happened. I got depressed. I got sidetracked. Something in the project, <laughs> uh, you know, went to the side. But I did end up writing one article um, from it on Jack Williamson's version of Albuquerque in the future. Oh, okay. I wrote a little history of Albuquerque in the future, and we'll read that in a bit, I guess. But but there's so much interesting stuff. Uh, written set in New Mexico. There's something about this state I think that really evokes, yeah. um, you know, flights of fancy. It's just this the open canvas of the desert. You right. know, like hey, put whatever you <laughs> you want on this. You know, make it make it. You know, let your mind bring it. You know, it's, okay. You know, so um, so let's yeah. get to that in yeah, a moment yeah. here. I That's why the box of books. Yeah, start with a little uh, Albuquerque news here. Yeah, this is a grim one. It is a grim, but I feel like it's such a, uh, a confluence of, uh, of things about our yeah. city, things that have been important about our city from Route 66 to David Parker Ray. Yeah, um, yeah. Hang in there. Uh, this is kind of a dark story. But we promise not to get too yeah, deep we're, into we're the Yeah, we're not going to focus details. on details and stuff. But those of you who don't know, uh, last week, last Tuesday, which would have been um, May... So May twenty fourth, okay. a um, I don't know if you'd call it a classic Route sixty six hotel, but certainly a Route sixty six hotel and one that's uh, figured in the, the the pop culture of, of mm-hmm. our country overall. The Desert Sands Motel mm-hmm. uh, at the intersection of Central and San Mateo, which had featured as a backdrop in uh, films such as. No Country for Old Men. Not just where, a backdrop, yeah, an important setting, yeah, right? I mean, right, that's yeah. where the, the main character yeah. uh, is killed. Tracked down and, yeah. Anticlimactically, yeah. kind of right yeah. in the middle of the movie. Right, you know? right, yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's uh, killed by uh, the Mexican hitman or whatever. Yeah, that, Javier Bardem's character comes in with a, a, yeah. a bolt. Not even thing, killed yeah. by the main bad guy, right? Oh, he's not? He's not. He, I only he, saw it once in the theater. He's, uh, oh. he's killed by... Somebody else entirely. There's oh, no really? climactic showdown. What? Oh, I forgot this. I remember right. Huh. Um, it burned. Uh, yeah. It's kind of murky as to what exactly happened, but um, something like 60 people were displaced. Hmm. People who were 
living in the uh, the motel mainly. Um, like a lot of uh, old Route 66 uh, motels, it was no longer being used as a temporary residence for people, you know, just breezing through town, but rather kind of a last chance uh, home for a yeah. lot of people. Or a mix of both, probably, right? I mean, yeah, you know, somewhat. Like, but I think more and more, it was like a lot of those places were kind of. residents only. Uh, yeah, long term residents. Interesting. Which, I mean, it kind of tells you a little bit about the state of Route 66. Yeah. Um, that these old motels have turned into basically a kind of uh, apartment living, which, Oof. due to a number of legal lo- loopholes, um, cater primarily to a, a population that's easily exploited, you know, people yeah, who are yeah. very poor and so mm-hmm. forth. I worked at the Landlord Tenant Hotline for a while back when that was still a thing in Albuquerque. What was it called? The Landlord Tenant Hotline. Oh, oh um, we provided uh, rental we provided advice to both renters and uh, and property owners. Hmm. Um, but New Mexico rental law which says, you know, you have to be given 30 days before you are, you know, you can be evicted and hmm. Uh, the landlord has to take care of basic um, basic quality of life things like making sure you have running water and heat and so mm. forth. They don't apply to these hotels, these old motels, mm. um, as long as the landlords uh, charge on a per-week basis and they're considered a motel under New Mexico wow. state law. Um, so what happens is a lot of people wind up living there who, for whatever reason, can't pass like a background check to live mm. in a regular apartment. Or they can't get the money together for the initial payment. For an entire month's yeah. worth of rent. Right. And then, sadly, that you know, most places that you live, you can't just come home and find your front door locked and the landlord's taking all your stuff. Right. Uh, at a motel, you can't, right? Wow. So wow. Um, these are the people who are, who are displaced by that. Uh, one of the people who was displaced, it has turned out. This is unbelievable. Was okay. So David Parker Ray was apparently a serial killer who lived in Truth uh, or Consequences. Yeah, Truth Truth or Consequences or Elephant Butte. Oh, was it Elephant Butte? He was right on the shores of Elephant oh, Butte. Okay. Well, okay. Known as the Toy Box Killer. Yeah. Uh, raped and and tortured women. He uh, he picked up on um, Central uh, <sighs> prostitutes mainly. Um, brought them back to his his what they call his toy box, which I, I don't really want to get into the, but it was a soundproofed single wide trailer right. like, designed for doing horrible things. Yeah. And he did this for years, like a decade or something like that until, um, a woman here, I'll read you the Wikipedia entry on March 22nd, 1999, a victim, Cynthia Vigil escaped after being kidnapped and enduring torture in a three door, three day ordeal. To escape, she waited until Ray went to work and then managed to get the keys to unlock her chains that Ray's accomplice, Cindy Hendy, had left on a table nearby while she was in another room on the phone. After Vigil got the keys, Hendy noticed Vigil's attempt to escape and a fight ensued. During the struggle, Hendy broke a lamp on the victim's head, but Vigil managed to unlock her chains and stab Hendy in the neck with an ice box, an ice pick. Hendy fell to the floor and Vigil escaped. Vigil ran away naked, wearing only an iron slave collar and padlocked chains. After Vigil's escape, police apprehended Ray and Hendy, and Ray was arrested. So this woman, Cindy, Cynthia Vigil, now known as Cindy Jaramillo, was one of the people who was living in that motel and was displaced by this fire. And, I mean, talk about somebody who's just had, like, her share of horrific things happening in her life. PTSD for life. Not only that, like her son was murdered the next day. 
After her other the- son, after she was uh, after she was displaced from the yeah, fire yeah. at Desert Sands. Oh my God! And then her other son was arrested for murder the next day. And to me, I, this, a separate incident, right? Yeah, two yeah. separate incidents. They didn't. Yeah, the oh. son didn't murder the other son. The son apparently murdered someone else. It's, it's kind of unbelievable, but and yet Albuquerque. I don't know. I feel yeah. like it's you know you you get yeah. she she was in. She was kidnapped by David Parker Ray because she, yeah. I believe she was uh, working as a prostitute on Central at that time, was picked up by him and mm-hmm. taken. So a very vulnerable person. Mm-hmm. You don't wind up right, right. walking the street on Central selling right. your body unless you've already had some bad things happening in your life. This, right? is, this seems to be true. So that makes her vulnerable to David yeah. Parker Ray. David Parker Ray picks her up, takes her to his horrific lair yeah. she escapes and i mean i gotta say she this sounds this story like, of her escape you know, sounds brave, kind of amazing in that instance resourceful yeah, yeah. you know yeah. manages to get out yeah. inarguably saves people's lives yeah. david parker ray he is kept doing this. considered believed to have killed up to 60 people yeah. so she's kind of like a hero then i mean I think like, she's yeah. a hero yeah, yeah. and she uh yeah, you know, he's talking just about had PTSD, but misery and suffering since. Yeah, it yeah, like. and like she is here. We are twenty years later, or whatever, and she's living in this motel. Her kids Central. are dealing with it. Yeah, I mean, to me, I feel like that's like a clear case of of society's failure. Yeah, you know, these are the people who, like, once you start slipping yeah. through those cracks, you slip through yeah. those cracks again and again. Yeah. And yeah. Yep. <laughs> Society in a broad sense and in a local sense, too. That's like, I mean, the, the resources for homeless people in this town are woeful and for homeless families. I've, I just recently yeah. wrote a, a letter I've been meaning to send to the mayor, actually, about this. I like, yeah, I, I've just been noticing homeless families so much in yeah, town. It's just, everywhere. it's overwhelming and so sad. And like, what are the resources? Like, you have all these signs up that say, call 311 if yeah. you see a homeless, you know, homeless people or homeless families. Need help after five at night? It's like a voicemail. Right, they'll never call you back. They've never called me back once yeah. during the day. They refer you to Joy Junction, which may or may not have beds, and which is a like a private church-run thing. Like, yeah, what yeah. city resources are there? I do think. Yeah. I mean, I think that Mayor Barry has done some good in that area. Like, like how so? Well, there is the program where they pick people up and they give them jobs for the day and okay. that sort of thing. Yeah, well, that's a good solution for some cases, but that's it's not a, a one-size solution. Fits yeah, but I think it's a it's what you call a step in the right direction. Sure, but it also has like this air of judgment that goes with it a lot of times, yeah. where it's like these homeless people wouldn't be homeless and they wouldn't be broke if they just work, you know. Right. And it's like that's not the case. What about people in wheelchairs? Oh, yeah. What about people with severe disabilities issues. of mental or physical? What about people right. with children? Okay, kids, sit here on the side of the road while I dig ditches, and then they'll give me <laughs> nine bucks an hour on payday later today or sometime, and then yeah. I'll be able to get us some food. But I think it's a and step then, in the right direction from say issuing a citation. Sure, right? it's a step up, but um, it's still like and I. Agree I think that those signs, one thing I've noticed about yeah. those signs is a lot of them are directed not at you or me, yeah. not if you see a homeless person, sure. but hey, if you need help, yeah. well, that's call nice, this yeah. number. And With your phone that can, you don't have. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. But it's, it, I, I feel like even as a, as a driver, you see that sign and it says if you need help. And it kind of puts you in that mm. position as a driver, too. Oh, and yeah. you're like, oh, you know, this is a person like me. Right, right. This is someone who needs help. You well, know? That's an interesting little I think there's, thing yeah. to notice. I like that. I think there's yeah. a subtle psychological effect anyway. I think, you know. Mm. Well, good. Well, maybe we need that paradigm shift. We need that. To, I mean, and, but it, <sighs> yeah. we, we're only just beginning then. because yeah. and, no, and I think true. that judgment needs to go away. I think, like. 
I mean, look, if you're the kinds of people that are leaving comments on any local news story about this stuff <laughs> judgmentally, you need to take a good look at yourself and, and assess how you're treating other people and how you're thinking of other people, because yeah. that could be you. It, you know, it could, it could be yeah. you. You think, well, it's not me. Well, you know what? You're lucky. No victor believes in chance, as Nietzsche said. Like, right. we all think we're, we're successful and doing great because of our own merit, but there's yeah. a lot of stuff that led up to wherever we're at, well, you know? I- Hey, even including your own body, like mind chemistry, like if yeah. your brain's chemical makeup is one that like sabotages you at every turn and you wind up on the streets. I don't think you can say that's your fault, you right. know, like right. that's something that needs to be dealt with right? as a society. But oh man, I just, anyway. Yeah, that's, you know, if I ever get a lot of money, that's, that's the charity I want to found is something <laughs> for homeless families in Albuquerque, I think, and, and beyond. Yeah. I just think it's like such a, it's so heartbreaking, man. I saw this couple... Downtown, they had a little girl. She was two years old. Her name was Meadow. She didn't have a sun hat on. She was drinking Kool-Aid out of a baby bottle. Ugh. It was a hot day. Yeah, and, this and that's kid, no good. You know, you know kid? And, yeah. yeah, and I was doing like what I could. I like gave. I found any kid thing I had in my car and was throwing it their way, like diapers right. and hats and stuff. But like, the kid was like freaking out over a ballpoint pen because she'd never like had a toy or something. I don't know. I mean, it was just like, it was just so sad, man. And that's not the only story I've seen like that in town right. here. It's just, you know, I mean... And this this woman's story, it sounds like her family is just like living with the constant echoes of this incident 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, you know? who and, knows what other problems And of the mom's has. general poverty. And yeah, it's just, yeah. oh, it's so sad. I, I want everybody to read this book, Stuart, A Life Backwards. It is so good. Have you read this, Ty? No. It's, it's, so this is one of my favorite biographies ever. It's uh, written by a social worker in England who has a guy... I'm going off here. I'm sorry, no, but but uh, he he this guy comes into uh, the shelter that he's working at, I think, and um, he gets to know him, and they hook him up with housing in England. They have really good programs for for mm-hmm. the homeless, apparently. And um, but this guy is so chaotic that like even if they give him a place, he tears it up and he destroys yeah. everything and he throws it, and he's very frustrating for all the people who are trying to. To, right. to help him. And so he starts to research this guy and explore his life. And it goes back chapter by chapter is a little bit further back in time until yeah. you get back to these traumatic childhood events that made this guy the way that he is. And then you get back to when he was this innocent little kid, like with the whole future in front of him and it could oh, go, nice. it could go yeah. well, you know, I mean, it's, so there's a bittersweet, almost happy ending to it, but you know, uh, you it's know, backwards. so much is going on. Yeah. There's a wonderful right. BBC movie of it too. You can watch on YouTube okay. for free. Stuart, a life backwards. It's excellent. I really recommend it. But, but, uh, I just don't know how, I just think we need, we need a major shift mentally. You know, we've got to, yeah. we've got to start, start viewing people as people. But Hey, let's, uh, let's end on a slightly okay. positive note, which right. is, um, I think people can help in these situations. Uh, yeah. The Red Cross was setting up, they set up a, a shelter for these people oh, that's nice. who were displaced by the that's fire. Um, you can donate to them. They are often the first on the scenes. Okay. I know some people have issues, but good. you know what? I think that they, they were there. Okay, good. Um, Barrett House uh, is one of my favorite like organizations that helps, especially homeless families. Yeah. Um, they provide housing for, for families uh, free. Wow. And a they um, have them in a they have they offer like trade school and yeah. so forth. So they will actually work to get people into houses. Wow. Like, oh, that's great! You know, and it's it's not uh, it's not a, a solution for everyone and everything. But hey, it's a start, and I yeah, think that yeah. it helps us. So that's good, please yeah. look up these organizations. Yes, um, awesome. And you know, there's also you mentioned Joy Junction. It's a yeah. uh, it is a Christian organization. They do know? a lot of good work, though. They do a lot of good work. Yeah, uh, they really do. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. Um, and then uh, heading home, you know, which is oh, yeah. the uh-huh. city's thing. Hey, 
Hmm. Support it. Yeah. Let let the mayor, let the city know that that you think that um, that ending homelessness is a priority. Yeah, you know, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't yeah. that be great? Maybe in the future yeah. there will be no more homelessness. What yeah. do you think? In uh, the future, I, that would be amazing. Some sort of science fiction future yeah. of Albuquerque. Oh, nice, good seg. Yeah. Segue. Uh, <laughs> and after that, we, we could take on the power lines, which are so unsightly. Yes. I, would love, I would love those to be all first homelessness yeah, will yeah. end, yeah. and then we'll take down the power lines. Then could we close the like, freeways and plant long parks oh, on them man. and make the outer perimeter of the city walking only? No, the inner perimeter and the, the outer, outer perimeter. The, outer, the inner perimeter I, walking only. Uh, I, We'd be ra- it would be a radical reinvention. In my hippy-dippy imagination, yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. Oh, man, I just, you know, how cool would that be? We'd be People would come here just to be someplace different. So tell us what we All can right. look forward to in the, uh, in the science fiction future okay. of Albuquerque. So this is a somewhat brief thing, but this is about, um, this is a three-page piece I wrote that was published in the 2009 Albuquerque Almanac, which apparently... I don't know if you guys know this, but 2009 was seven years ago, yeah, and we're all much older now than we used to be, <laughs> so that's terrifying. But yeah, so I, I wrote this some time ago. It's about Jack Williamson, who, who was a really interesting science fiction author. I'm going to go into it a little bit in this, yeah, yeah. but, but um, he was from Portales, and so to him, Albuquerque was the big city. Oh. But, but Jack Williamson, what an interesting figure. I mean, he wrote literally, like, his, his writing career spanned, like, like... 80 years. So give us a rundown. Who, who is, what did he write? Uh, well, he, he, the series that I like him for the best is called The League of Space. And, okay. the, and these were like golden era science fiction, you know, dubious science. They leave the engines on the whole time. They're charging through space and so uh, okay. on, you know, things yeah. like that. Um, but kind of imaginative, often drawing from Shakespeare and other things. Like there's a character based on Falstaff in the series mm. from, um, from uh, Shakespeare's history plays and uh, Mary Wives of Windsor. And, um, and, uh, then, but he wrote into his 90s. He lived to be oh, almost yeah. 100. And one of his last books, Terraforming Earth, is awesome. I love that book. Okay. It's so good. It's, it's uh, oh, yeah. about you know, Earth fa- is facing an extinction-level ed- event, and so they store like the genetics for, for everybody on the moon with oh, okay. clones maintaining it. And then and the and periodically every so many million years, like they wake up again and try to see if Earth is ready for recolonization oh, wow. again. And so, <laughs> but they're all the same types of people. So the clones are like the same character created again and again and again and again over oh, all this time. It's wow. really imaginative yeah, and interesting. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you know he's just he's just a really interesting imaginative writer. Uh, th- if you go to ENMU in Portales right now, uh, they have the large the world's largest science fiction library is there in the Jack Williamson. Sci-fi library there. So he's kind and, of a like a contemporary of like what Robert Heinlein and I think he's a little early. Well, I mean okay. he be, he began earlier than that. He was writing in the twenties, I think his first stuff. Robert Howard, uh, Rudy Howard, because I see he's he's done a lot of like a amazing stories and you know oh, kind of the yeah, pulp, I, I the could pulp see that. era. Yeah. yeah, he really had the pulp era yeah. going, but okay. he's he's been productive I think forever. You know, I mean, for much of the 20th century. Okay. So, yeah, re- really, uh, really, really something else. But there, there are so many science fiction writers from New Mexico. I mean, Roger yeah, Zelazny, he's right. probably, probably my favorite from here. Uh, George R. R. Martin. George R. R. Martin. Primarily yeah. known right. as a science fiction author prior or, or to fantasy. his, uh, well, before. Really? He was known as sci-fi before? Yeah, that? he oh, wrote yeah. Um, Sand Kings, which was uh, adapted on, on the Outer Limits with uh, Christopher Walken about this uh, race of, like, semi-sentient uh, insects that you can buy as pets and they'll start worshipping you as a god. Interesting. Yeah, everything's perfect and nothing goes wrong at all. It's wonderful. Oh. Wow, really? No, no. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> it turns out there's a downside. But oh, wow. <laughs> especially if you're a, a sadist. <laughs> I was like, uh, kind of exciting for a second. Oh, no. Now the guy, uh, Christopher Walken, um, 
in the in the TV show anyway. He uh, he has a sadistic streak, and he likes it when the uh, when the insects fear him, and so they oh. start they start building him little statues, and they're all of him <laughs> as like a cruel, angry god, you know. Oh, uh, but the problem is, is that they continue to evolve the whole time, and oh. so eventually they become a real problem. <laughs> oh, interesting. interesting. And they're mad at him uh, at then, you know. Interesting, interesting. Um, yeah, th- I mean, there's some great stuff from here. There's uh, Robert Zelazny, yeah, Bob yeah. Vardaman. Um, I like this guy, Walter John Williams. He writes cyberpunk style stuff uh, in the kind of in the style of William Gibson. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- re- really, uh, interesting. Spider Robinson. Okay. lives lives in Albuquerque. Uh, who else? Um, I'm trying to think. See, I got a few. Uh, this is set in New Mexico. I don't know if he's from here. David Brin, Raymond Z. Galoon. He definitely had a connection here. Um, Let's see what else here. This is a weird one. The Texas Israeli War, 1999. Oh, Texas is its own country. And they have a war with Israel. Here's one. Here's one by a woman, Dorothea Dreams by Susie McKee Charnas. That's more fantasy, I think. Okay. Some vampire stuff. Um, what else? Stephen King, part of the Stand. Is oh, set here. set here. Yeah, yeah set here. He's not from here, but yeah. Oh, Jeff Long. This guy, he, I don't know if he is set, is from New Mexico, but he always has New Mexico in his stuff. Okay. This is basically like year zero, his book Year Zero, A Plague Wipes Out Much of the World, and the last bastion yeah. of humanity are the scientists at Los Alamos. Right. And they like are living in a walled city, and all the uh, hysterical masses are surrounding the city. <laughs> you know, it sounds about like yeah. Los Alamos anyway, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that one. There's a great part in the middle where a guy just goes around the abandoned world on a long trip, just exploring it all. Oh. I, I love that kind of stuff, just... Emptiness and silence and the haunting um, light of it of the Douglas Preston lives in Santa Fe. Oh, that's he wrote, right. Uh, yeah. He wrote Relic, which was I think counts as sci-fi. It's kind of yeah. a, in the in the Michael Crichton vein. I have one here that he wrote, Tyrannosaur oh, yeah. Canyon. That's speaking set, of set in the in Michael Crichton, Crichton vein. In, lar- in large parts, yeah, that was that was pretty good. I, I try to remember what this is about. It was about like oh, they found a petrified Tyrannosaurus and it had some sort of virus in it or something. I, it was weird. I can't remember. Um, yeah, there's a. This is my favorite Jack Williamson title. I think it's hilarious. Man Seed. <laughs> oh, God. It's not, it's not erotica. <laughs> That's what the guy. Oh. Never mind. Other, other news stories that Albuquerque's infamous for, we probably don't need to get into. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a yogurt sample. That was, that's all. I don't know who this author's from, but this is an interesting book. The Illegal Rebirth of Billy the Kid. Oh, yeah, Billy yeah. the Kid being cloned far Sure. There. Not cloned. Uh, Maybe it was cloned, or I think it was—he was cryogenically frozen and then woken up. Oh yeah, future. okay. Maybe that was you're it. like, we need we need Billy the Kid. I can't remember. Our- <laughs> yeah, I read. See, I read all these like a few years ago, so it's, it's hard. That's to say. interesting. Uh, it, you know, you wonder why why New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, for sci-fi, it's yeah. because of the wide open spaces, the idea of possibility here. Interesting. The yeah. fact that you know things are going to change, or there's already. I mean, it's just. The the creepiest, weirdest stuff feels so believable when you're sitting by a campfire out in out in the oh, middle yeah. night here. You know, see the stars really well for sure. Right, someone starts telling a skinwalker story and it, like something that you would have mm. heard back in society and thought, oh, what an interesting <laughs> bit of folklore. And out there, you're like, oh god, this is terrifying. You know, it's yeah. Just, it, and someone it, from like a Western yeah. European yeah. like background or lineage, yeah. you come out here and you're face to face with other cultures that are right. are pretty starkly different that have entirely different traditions. Right, right. How can you not help right. but think of you know? I think encountering cultures beyond the stars and truth. Wondering. Yeah. Well, the yeah. desert just feels really possible. Who hasn't seen like weird lights that they couldn't explain in the desert? I mean, you know, I remember one time just being out in the desert and like 
hearing giant horses surrounding me and running through <laughs> me and all the stuff. And it was like, where are these horses? Oh, and how are they yeah. so huge? Like, what the hell was that? Right. You know, just like uh, another friend told me about just like hearing wind chimes everywhere while wandering out in the desert. Like they could never find where they were coming from. It just sounded like they were Ugh. drifting back Ugh. and forth in the sky. You know, uh, what, one night I was camping with a group and uh, I started telling a couple of skinwalker stories that I had heard, which like, um, you know, you're not supposed to tell them. That's like part of the lore yeah. is that it, it attracts them. And, you know, people within the group were clamoring, don't, don't tell these stories or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I don't think I would do this now. This was like 10 years ago, but I kept telling them. And in the morning when I woke up, the tree nearest us had all these little feathers tied to it with little bits of coarse what? rope. And it was like every branch of this Dude. juniper tree. And it was so, it was creepy to me. I'm like, yeah, I'm as skeptical, skeptical as I get. And it, <laughs> It was one of your creepy. friends, maybe. Maybe, maybe, but everybody was pretty rattled by it. So yeah. maybe, maybe they were doing it as a prank or something. Right. But, but uh, you know, it's it's. I, I wrote an article once. It was a, a column a long time ago on. Um, the, do you remember the Weekly World News story? Satan's skull found in New Mexico. It was like it was Sounds on T-shirts familiar. and stuff for a while. Yeah, yeah. You know that? I could picture a skull. Yeah. Like in black and white newsprint. So. The sub kind of more self-aware inquirer. You know, uh-huh. the Weekly World News. It was around for a long time. I think it's online still, but... Um, it's not the same, man. It's not the same as, you know, picking up the cheap newsprint and seeing these, <laughs> you know, pathetically absurd stories. Um, but, you know, I wrote, well, like, why did they pick New Mexico? Yeah. And I just, and, like, I, you know, I, and I, I interviewed a bunch of people. It's still the reason William Dubois won't talk to me, I think. I, I interviewed him for that article. Um, and, uh, you know, because I had a genuine question, like, what is it in the popular yeah. mind that says, you know, this is a place where weirdness happens? Why not Nevada? Nevada has right. as much open desert and strangeness. Why not Southern California? I feel like yeah. it's, it's, I feel like it's, I think it's the culture thing, man. Huh. I think it's huh. a lot to do with the fact that, I mean, obviously, like, people of, like European descent and the culture that they brought with them are still huh. dominant here, but I don't think they're as dominant as they are in other places. You think it's like an exoticizing, fetishizing thing? Like, well, like, I think right. it's a you can come here and feel feel the presence of other cultures and other worldviews hmm. more closely than you can in other places. Interesting. I, think. Um, I know just from my own experiences, like living in living in Houston, living in New York, living in Austin. You know, like. Those are the places I've lived, and in those places, you know, the the dominant Eurocentric culture is really, really, really dominant mm. in the mm. places that I lived. Anyway, I'm sure, like, if you live in different places, that it's mm. a different story. But here, I feel like it's harder to sort of like have an enclave of that, you know, where you just feel like that worldview is just the way it is. Like, there's always a feeling like, oh, there's other people around here who see things pretty differently. Right. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. And that's just, you know, I'm trying to own the fact that that's like my background and that's, you know, so other people have different experiences than that. Yeah. I've, I've lived in the desert in Arizona too, and it was pretty weird out there also, like, you know, and, and, and Southern Utah and, uh, and, and Colorado is pretty wild in its own way, like in a further new age direction, you know, I mean, um, when I lived in Colorado, we used to get mail for Tuella all the time. We had our P.O. box before. She was a woman that channeled a- aliens who were orbiting around. Oh, uh, I think I've heard of her. Yeah, yeah. She's a real person, right? Yeah, yeah. She wrote, she wrote um, Project World Evacuate, I think was her book. It was just like... <laughs> oh, okay. It, Sounds but, um, great. My mother's yeah. going to a channeling camp, by the way, in the next few weeks. Here. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Does she believe in this stuff? She, I'll put it this way. She wants to believe in it. Okay. She has yet to find any that she could actually believe in, but she wants to believe in, in the presence of spirits and yeah. channeling and reincarnation. 
Well, I'd say you're a memoirist, so encourage her to just do the weirdest possible things she can possibly do. And Follow your dreams, yeah. Mom. That's <laughs> what I'm go, saying. Keep going. This will be good. <laughs> so I can write about good, it. Good texture. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> just remember, anything you do it might find its way to a chapter. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. shall we get to the article here? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let me hold on. Let me the Green Hall by Mike Smith. By the earliest years of the 30th century, the city of Albuquerque will have grown into a place of literally interplanetary importance. From its humble origins as a scattering of pueblos along the Rio Grande, an old-time Spanish via, a railroad boomtown, and a neon-frazzled stop along old Route 66, New Mexico's largest city will have grown into one of the most important places out there, into the seat of the Supreme Council of the United Planets, into the capital of our entire solar system. How do I know this, you might ask? Has some talented psychic bestowed upon me this hopeful, hopeful vision of the city's future? No. Psychics generally speak too vaguely for fear that specific claims could later be proven wrong, so I choose not to pay them much attention. Instead, I'm more interested in people whose predictions are bold and dramatic, who aren't afraid to suggest and describe fantastic happenings, and whose visions of the future are exciting, interesting, and unfamiliar. These people, of course, are science fiction writers. One of these riders, Jack Williamson, came to the state in 1915 in a horse-drawn wagon bumping along over the Arizona-New Mexico border. For most of his life, Williamson lived in Portales, teaching at Eastern New Mexico University and writing award-winning stories and novels almost right up to his death at age 98 in 2006. Williamson used New Mexico for a setting in many of his stories, including for his classic pulp-era Legion of Space series, to which... In the absence of any legitimate seers or scryers, we turn now for five possible records of the Duke City's distant future. Over the next 900 years or so, perhaps as a result of research done at Sandia National Laboratories, or of the city's proximity to Spaceport America in southern New Mexico, Albuquerque will rise in prominence as an interplanetary crossroads as humankind settles the planets of our solar system. At some point, in these next few centuries, a political faction known as the Purples will establish the so-called Purple Hall on a moon of Mars, and from there will make the entire solar system into a cosmic dictatorship. That despotic monarchy will eventually be overthrown by a group of scientists, the Greens, approximately 700 years from now, who will establish a democratic seat of solar system-wide government right here in Albuquerque, build an interplanetary mint and spaceport here, and encase most of the city beneath a massive green glass dome. Like a great emerald, it shimmered darkly in a waste of sun-baked New Mexico Mesa, a colossal marvel of green, translucent glass, wrote Jack Williamson in 1934's The Legion of Space, the first of his books to address this chapter of Albuquerque's future existence. Three thousand feet the square central tower leaped up. The four great colonnaded wings spread over a full mile of luxuriously verdant parkland, a solitary jewel in the desert under the rugged, mile-high wall of the Sandias. Unfortunately for Albuquerque or for the Green Hall, as it will then be known. Sometime in the early 30th century, aliens from another solar system will completely destroy all of it. These aliens, hovering organic balls with tentacles and beaks, will come to our solar system at the naive behest of the dethroned purples, will pump our atmosphere full of poisonous red haze, and will shatter the glass of the Green Hall by bombing it from Earth's moon, leaving only mountains of green glass shards and the mangled bodies of our distant descendants. In retaliation, the citizens of Albuquerque will disintegrate the moon with a secret weapon and destroy all the alien spacecraft as well. Flaming, the black invader fell with a curious deliberation out of the red sky, wrote Williamson. It struck the barren slopes of the Sandias, rolled down them, still looking queerly like a black and monstrous spider in the slow agony of death. <laughs> 
By the middle of the 30th century, the Green Hall of Albuquerque will have been rebuilt, and its status as the capital of the solar system will once again be secure. That, at least, is what Williamson revealed to us in his 1936 sequel, The Cometeers. In 1939's One Against the Legion, though, toward the end of the 30th century, a time will come when the moon has been replaced by an almost planet-sized casino, and when peace in Albuquerque will come to another end. Settling limply back in the chair behind his crowded desk, Jay Kalam, commander of the Defensive Legion of Space, let his eyes look out of the Great West Window, wrote Williamson. It was dark, beyond the five low points of the dead low volcanoes on the black horizon, against the fading greenish afterglow, the new moon was rising. Shortly after this scene takes place, Kalam and every other member of the governing Green Hall Council will be kidnapped by a disgruntled purple rebel and electronically transported to a barren planet to die. But they won't, though. They'll escape. And Albuquerque will remain the capital of the solar system, at least through the 31st century, as described in Williamson's 1967 novella, Nowhere Near. Several centuries after that, however, people will no longer talk of Albuquerque's Green Hall, but pledge their allegiance instead to the Hall of Stars. Williamson's 1983 novel, The Queen of the Legion, written nearly 50 years after the first book in the series, does not indicate, however, if the Hall of Stars will be the same place as Albuquerque and the Green Hall. To learn that, we might just have to wait a while. Kaburke! Capital of the solar system, destroyer of the moon. It's about time we got some respect. <laughs> Still, if any if any uh, mid-sized city in America is going to destroy the moon, yeah, it's I'd, be I'd put good money on Albuquerque. Yeah, I mean Houston's probably going to do it. Let's be honest, but yeah. I'd say you know as a uh, as a second opportunity, Albuquerque. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean. Yeah. So. Um, why do you reckon this guy thought Albuquerque should be capital of the solar system? Well, I think it was because he was from a, a relatively small town. I mean, Portales. I built a playground there once when I was traveling around building playgrounds as a job. Uh-huh. And uh, I, re- I remember a place that sold milkshakes okay. that were yeah. like peanut flavored because they have like a big peanut industry, I guess. Oh, there. really? <laughs> yeah. So don't go there if you have any, you know, lethal allergies. Um, and... Uh, you know, I mean, you're living in Portales, then you come into Albuquerque like maybe once or twice a yeah. year or something like that. It probably did seem like overwhelmingly big, you know. That I had these friends who lived in the Hamas Mountains. They had like a compound up there, a Wiccan compound. Wow. Um, and they uh, they referred to <laughs> Albuquerque exclusively as Babylon. Wow. Which was just like, really? It seemed like, I don't you know, know Babylon? I, like, <laughs> I've interviewed pl- hippies from Placidus from the commune scene of the 70s that said they used to call it that. They used to call it yeah, Babylon? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it, it strikes me as putting on airs. A little bit, as, yeah. Uh, as, as folksy stereotypes from the 20s would say. But, um, yeah. okay, sure. I guess, yeah. you know. I wish. It's a I bit Babylon-esque. A den of fun vice. Yeah, we're not exactly, yeah. uh, what is it, <laughs> District 1 from uh, Hunger Games? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the capital. The, yeah, the capital <laughs> with, the, with the hair all yeah. done up and everything. we got a long way to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, oh, that's cool. I, yeah, I think it's neat. You know, and I... I I loved reading these books that had places I knew in them. Just, be, I mean, I always enjoy that. When yeah. in movies, when I see settings that are familiar, or in books, when you uh, can picture something vivid, extra vividly because you've had some personal right. experience there. Sure, yeah. sure. Adds to the realism of whatever work too. And uh, uh, spaceports, of course, figure largely mm-hmm. into Albuquerque's uh, future yes. self. And we are actually building mm-hmm. a spaceport. I mean, we aren't, but you yeah. know, whatever. Someone. Uh, Alan McGordo's yeah. got a spaceport. May as yeah. well be Albuquerque. Yeah. Jessica Alba famously mistook 
uh, Alamogordo for Albuquerque. Oh, that's Do you remember that? She no, was, I don't uh, know she was quoted as saying, Albuquerque, oh, yeah, I guess it's okay. I mean, we were there for a while, but, <laughs> like, we just went, like, there, all there is is a Walmart and an Applebee's, and how many times can you go to there? But it turned out she was talking about Alamogordo. <laughs> so she ticked off everybody from Albuquerque, of course. And Alamogordo, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, Alamogordo is kind of like, well, we've got a couple other places, but still, Albuquerque, you We know? have a landfill with we a do- bunch of ET cartridges <laughs> in it. Yeah. It stinks, and you can go there once. We do yeah. actually have a city here. I mean, yeah. If you come to Albuquerque and all you do is go to the uh, the Applebee's and yeah. the and the Walmart, that's your fault. You know, I actually really like New Mexico in general. And if I, if we ever poke fun at small town New Mexico, it's affectionately because like right. But you can I, at least I, see I how somebody area. could go to Alamogordo oh, and sure, be like, man. oh, okay, that's Walmart hilarious. and Applebee's. Like, if you're not very adventurous, I want to I want to invite a friend out from one of the coasts and like somehow like yeah. take them to Alamogordo before Albuquerque <laughs> and be like, this is it. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> what do you think? That was the Alamogordo was the place that I saw the most Confederate flags in New Mexico. I had no idea that people flew Confederate flags in the state. Wow. But down in Alamogordo and um, what's the little uh, city? Not Eagle's Nest. Uh, Cloudcroft. Cloudcroft, man. Oh, I heard Cloudcroft had some weirdness. Cloudcroft is totally bizarre. Maybe I heard that from you. You go into the gift shops and they don't sell New Mexico flags. They sell Texas flags Ah. and Confederate flags. Oh, come on. (laughs) And it turns out that uh, Cloudcroft is actually... It was it was founded as a uh, health retreat hmm. for El Paso. Oh, interesting. so there is some actual historical precedent for it being oh. filled with Texans. But, interesting, um, interesting. I hitchhiked through there once. I thought it was interesting. Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, what else? Oh, um, Alamogordo does have a street there though named Ascot Parade. <laughs> last, last time I was there, I was like, that's the weirdest name for a street I've ever seen. You should just ask. Yeah. When is like, the Ascot Parade? Yeah. I'm here for the Ascot Parade. Like, it's like a handkerchief sticking out of your shirt, right? It's, like, like around it's the what uh, Fred wore in oh, Scooby-Doo. Okay. You right. remember Fred from Scooby-Doo? <laughs> yeah, he little Ascot. I like to think it's something derisive, that like the person who named the streets was, like <laughs> saw two people wearing those. Yeah, this place is just an Ascot Parade, man. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> All right, I had one um, one thing I wanted to read about Albuquerque as a spaceport. All right, let's hear it. So this is uh, actually from, I believe, the very first uh, supplement to Gamma World. Which is? Which is the first science fiction role-playing game system okay. ever made, which... I know you're not a role-playing game No, fan. this is something that Ty and I, like, th- our friendship does not contain. It, he likes role-playing it's games. It's often games. hard for me to convince Mike that this stuff is interesting. <laughs> but okay, so D&D came out, like, 1975 or something like okay. that. Gamma World came out, like, 1976. Yeah. I like the community in Freaks and Geeks episodes. I yeah. can see the kind of the appeal. You're, yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're, totally. you're, you're writing, basically, right? You're creating Yes, it's a, communi- a, it's a communal like story is yeah. what it is. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, totally. So okay. think of it that way. All right, all right. All right, so the very first supplement for the role-playing game Gamma World, which is set in a post-apocalyptic United States, is called the Albuquerque Starport. Oh. Written by Paul Reich the Third, okay. known for later on developing video games, including Star Control, which is a big famous one that, again, Mike doesn't care about. Um, <laughs> and I honestly, I don't know that much about. Anyway, it has a great opening line. I honestly feel like... This, this would be a good opening line in any medium. On a crisp, clear New Mexico morning in the spring of the year 2261, the great city of Albuquerque died. 
So that's all. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the rest, you know, I read through this adventure. It's it's an adventure, you know. So yeah. you, it's. Um, I might use that as a writing prompt for yeah. some of my students. People people yeah. go through yeah. and they go to the starport yeah. and then they go up to the moon, which yeah. I guess Albuquerque hadn't destroyed yet. But uh, it doesn't have that much to do with Albuquerque. But I think it's kind of neat that they decided to set it in Albuquerque. It's like Albuquerque was on the mind. Maybe they set it in Albuquerque because of Paul, of uh, of Williamson here. Jack oh, Williamson. you know that could be. I mean, and Frederick Brown lived here too, and Zelazny yeah. lived in Santa Fe. And there's certainly know, some sci-fi, yeah, yeah. Uh, prestige. It's true yeah. to this area. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you could argue that uh, Cormac McCarthy has written science fiction, The Road. That's yeah, a very much so. That is very much science story, fiction. You know, I, yeah. If yeah. you don't consider the road science fiction, yeah. I don't even want to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. basically. Well, I think the one the one thing that maybe would make people hesitate for that is well, it's so literary that it's, it has such. But that shouldn't be a disqualifying language. factor. Yeah. Oh, you know, you know what else is partly set. I don't know about Albuquerque, but New Mexico is that uh, World War Z. Oh. Uh, has seen set in Taos. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's neat. Um, yeah. Where where the Max Brooks is the zombies and yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. an oral history. It's really cool. Very well, um, cool. Yeah. Uh, what else? I, this this um, is a great. I really love. Um, what is this? Oh, okay. I'm holding this book. Frederick Brown, Rogan Space. Uh-huh. I know that this guy used to live here because I remember when he died. Like maybe a decade ago, Tidal Wave Books did a big display of his stuff, and they're like, okay. "R.I.P. Frederick Brown, we love you." And um, I love looking at these books. That I he's know pulling the out covers of this box. are they're, so stylish. Yellow pages. Yeah. The colors are are probably cracking. Yeah, uh, it's got like it's all browns and a reds. Lone outlaw encounters a unique Hold being on. in the classic That's novel right. of alien intelligence. <laughs> but this this book is also I'm smelling this book, and it smells like a used bookstore. Yeah. You know, it's just it's like, got that wonderful smell to it. Yeah, this is the this is the books don't smell that way anymore. This is the chemical in trees that makes them not droop. I was reading uh, Watership Down to Bryce, and I commented on the smell. And the other day, he picked up a book at the bookstore. Uh, We went over page one, and he like flipped through it, and he was like, "This one doesn't smell the right way." I was like, "That's right, it doesn't smell the right way." (laughs) (laughs) It is a nice part. I do enjoy. I mean. I have a Kindle and I use it sometimes and, and I see mm-hmm. the appeal of reading things online and being able to call up information at top speed. But I do like the tactile experience of books yeah. that, that engage, they engage more of your senses than just sight. You right. know, they, and they, I'm not a person who's yeah. like, screw the modern world. No, yeah, yeah. I think Kindles are a perfectly great way to read books, yeah. but there is something very magical about sure. yeah. like the, the touch and feel of an old oh, book. Oh, I love it. I just love the touch and feel of, of books, period. I just feel like it's such a... I love surrounding myself with them. In my house, I feel like it's like a yeah. thousand good memories and a thousand hopeful possibilities just around me all the time. You know, I get to, to uh, you know, like, oh, there's something I enjoyed. But anyway, I picked up this book, Frederick Brown, Rogan Space. Uh, it is partly set in Albuquerque, and it has a pretty grand vision for Albuquerque, too. Okay. Can I read a couple excerpts from this? Yeah, yeah. All right, so here's some things that I highlighted in this book. This book is from, just for the record, the year 1957. So think about 1957. 1957 Albuquerque. Yeah. How much there. And this is what they were predicting looking forward, I guess. And of all places here in Albuquerque, the center of the Federation and the toughest spot on five planets to beat a rap. Albuquerque, (laughs) where justice was more crooked than crime, where a criminal didn't have a chance unless he belonged to the machine. Independent operators were not wanted and did not last long. Craig walked over to the window and stood looking down at the vast, sprawling city of Albuquerque, third largest city in the solar system, second largest city on Earth. Running diagonally off to the southeast, he could see the bright ribbon of the shuttle jet track that led to Earth's largest spaceport 40 miles away. 
He hated it, that corrupt city. Worse in its way than Mars City, vice city of the solar system. Albuquerque was not a flesh pot, but it was the center of intrigue between the guilds and the gilded. All right, skipping forward here. Can I just say real quick, yeah. though? Um, I've always hated Mars City. I'm <laughs> glad that he thinks we're better than them. I'm against the mayor's campaign to turn it into our sister city. Yeah, Mar- yeah, Mars exactly. City, they, Mars we, city. We have nothing in common with them. <laughs> There's literally nothing there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just some red rocks. Uh, here's, here's just one sentence I highlighted on one page. Almost all private citizens of Albuquerque wore shorts in summer. <laughs> and sandals with socks. Yeah. And then here's another page. Civilians here wear sandals or go barefoot. About half and half. Okay, good enough. All right, and then here, okay, here's a detail. Be an idiot of, to go barefoot in Albuquerque. It's filled with spiky plants. Yeah, that's true. And broken glass and yeah, hypodermic really, needles. Yeah, maybe people's feet are like evolved to be thicker, more heat resistant or something in the future. The sidewalk was crowded with scantily clad people. Save those in one or another kind of uniform, few, if any, wore more than shorts or trunks, a sports shirt or a t-shirt and sandals. Many men wore nothing above the waist. So did a few women, mostly ones who had outstanding good reasons for the extreme style. All of the women who were barefoot and some of the men had gaudily painted toenails, usually gold or silver. Voco ads blared in his ears. Eat at Stacy's, wear Trilon, visit the House of Strange Pleasures, use Cobb's Dentifrice, visit Ma'am B- Madame Blaine's, drink Hotsy, use Safe and Be Safe, travel Pan Am, buy, drink, visit, use, buy. I like the idea that, that Don Schrader has set the oh, fashion. Nice. Uh, <laughs> he, he, yeah. he is the fashion leader. Don Schrader, for those of you that don't know, is. Uh, this he's a really like well-meaning, well-intentioned, actually yeah. pretty well-informed activist here I think in town. So. I like Tom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He does occasionally write an editorial about like the health benefits of drinking urine. Yeah, we, we, we yeah. part ways there. He's known as the naked man. <laughs> yeah, uh, because he he wears <laughs> as little clothes as he can get away <laughs> with legally. Right, usually a sort of a. Very thin denim kind of loincloth or uh, short yeah, he's shorts. He's got short, like denim shorts yeah, on, yeah, yeah. And, and a rainbow hat. Right. And Man, one of the funniest things, uh, a friend, Marcella Ortega, when I was writing for the Daily Lobo 10 years ago, interviewed him. She went to his house to interview him, and he never stopped jumping on a little trampoline the whole oh, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's and big so, into the trampoline. Yeah, and so she played this tape for me, and all the questions you could see, these springs whoa, whoa, going whoa, in the background. <laughs> so funny to me. Um, all right. So I that's Frederick Brown, Rogan see. Space. We should probably go ahead and, and wrap up because my computer has 4% juice. Oh, no. Do you have a not plug? Not plugged. It is not charging. Oh. We could continue on. I have a little hand recorder that we could do, continue on. Okay. Well, um, that does a great job. Okay. Well, what are we, what are we going to uh, segue into? Well, I think we ought to talk about New Mexico 2050. This is a okay. book that just came out fairly recently oh, okay. uh, from the University of New Mexico Press. And so, it's about the challenges facing actual New Mexico's future. Okay. And so we're going to talk about that. Cool. Like, hey. What is what is the real future going to be like in New Mexico? Okay. So we talk about the fictional future. Can I give a? I want to say check out Jack Williamson's books if you get a chance. They're really those those uh, Legion of Space books really are fun. And if you're looking for sci-fi set in New Mexico, my three favorite sci-fi things set in New Mexico are Roger Zelazny's For a Breath I Terry. Incredible. I think Wally the movie ripped a lot off from, oh, okay. from, from this story. It's a novella. You can find it in a couple of different places. Um, then there's this book, The Eden Cycle, by William Z. Galoon, in which alien, it's like contact meets the matrix. Like aliens give us a perfect virtual reality system and everyone on Earth just escapes into being immortal and creating their own universes. It's incredible. Uh, I love that book. And then Kiln People by David Brin, which uh, basically people figure out ways to make copies of themselves and then download the experiences of other copies into themselves oh, at the cool. end of the day. It's really, it, that's set in, on Yuraca Mesa and a lot in northern New Mexico. Those are all three really fun New Mexico sci-fi reads. Like, 
excellent books in their own right, New Mexico or not. Awesome. Yeah. And play through the Gamma World Adventure, oh, yeah. the Albuquerque Starport. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Could be fun. Like a great emerald, it shimmered. <laughs> I can't say shimmered. Start again.